Today in the EcoGo studio with me is Sarah Scarborough, the tea huntress. Sarah has worked as a tea buyer, taster, and formulator for businesses a brand across the globe. She has seen traditional cultures around the world and how they share tea to cultivate peace, wisdom, and connection. Her company, Tea Huntress, is based in Nashville, Tennessee, yet her playing field is global. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Ashley. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, so nice to have you and to have this conversation around the thing that you love the most, which is tea. Yes. And before we get started, I would love to know what your core values are. My core values. I don't know that anybody's asked me that so directly in a while. Let me think about it for a second. Um, If I think of what guides me and what has kind of always guided my work, I would say authenticity is a big one. Just really authenticity, truth to oneself, um, speaking from a place of knowledge and truth and just coming from my authentic self with, you know, the decisions that I make and the, um, the choices that I make as well. And then another one, um, sustainability for sure. I've always been very driven by living light on the land. Um, you know, I grew up in such a way half of the time of the year um, at my maternal grandparents' house in Finland where we got fish from the lake and berries from the forest, and we bathed in the sauna and spent a lot of time outside. And that experience really showed me how rich the experience of living sustainably is and how much sense it makes and how much wisdom there is in that kind of lifestyle. And so everything else to me didn't feel as beautiful or as rich or as real or as authentic. And so um, sustainability became kind of a life path or mission for me at a very young age because of that experience, which was quite polar to how I was growing up in the United States. It was just so alive. And I still feel that way when I get into a scenario where I'm, you know, even if I go in my yard and I'm picking lemon verbena and steeping it for a tea, or if I'm picking tomatoes and making them into a sauce or tending to my compost or watching the bobcats in the backyard, it feels like that connection to nature, which makes me just feel so alive and peaceful. So I think in a nutshell, that word would be sustainability, although it's a lot more than sustainability. Um, So yeah, I think if I had to just say two, maybe authenticity and sustainability. Yeah, there is something very powerful about nature. It's like you can, um, it's that intelligence. Right. You can feel life. Wisdom. Yeah. It's, um, it's a shame because of the way we live. We're often disconnected from it. But, and then we create these practices like earthing and forest bathing <laughs> and things like this that are truly like, we'll just go get in the woods or go jump in a wild body of water, like you know a lake or a river or something. But I think we're at a point in our history where we weren't all raised that way. So it's maybe not intuitive or natural just to go bathe in a creek or to you know, to grab stuff out of the forest for dinner. Right. (laughs) So we have to be, we have to relearn. We have to be rewilded. We have to be retaught and to be reconnected. And so we create these practices. But, um, but definitely it's, you know, it's funny. I, in my career was always so interested in sustainability and sustainable agriculture. And Mm. I worked in agriculture and that brought me to tea. And then my focus was all about sustainability and tea and the supply chain. And then that, brought me to most recently work with tea as a practice and a meditation and a lifestyle. And if I really break it down to the core of it, it's all about connecting to nature. It's all about just 
through the practice of tea or yoga or travel or whatever, it's all about just connecting to the wisdom of nature. Your story, okay, you kind of gave a little bit of that. So I guess I'd like to hear from you about when you talk about sourcing around tea Mm -hmm. and your travels. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'd love to get into ritual. Sure. Um, Because not every ingredient is the same, right? Right. And so how, how is it that you are sourcing the tea that you are bringing? Right. And as far as being able to, I'm struggling here to like get to what the sourcing is. It's just that no two ingredients are the same. You know what I'm talking about? I think I know exactly what you're asking. So there's two things. One, I think is like the background of kind of my story or history with sourcing. And then the other one is kind of like current day with Tea Huntress, how I'm vetting suppliers, like who I'm buying from, what's the story with China, what's the story with other places. Okay, so I right. could talk about this for five hours. Um. <laughs> yeah, and I, I realized now what it was I was looking at is that like there's also a nutrient value, right? And so sure. there's that piece. Totally. Right, it has a huge impact. Like yeah. a mint is not a mint and a chamomile is not the cam- a chamomile and a, you know, um, an Earl Grey is not an Earl Grey any more than a Bordeaux is a Bordeaux or, or a loaf of bread is not just a loaf of bread. There's so many variants of you know, a loaf of bunny bread or some like heirloom grain, freshly milled local yeast, hearth baked loaf of bread (laughs) that's going to have a whole different vibration and a whole different impact on your body, your mind, your spirit, your experience than the loaf of bunny bread or even an organic loaf of bread from Whole Foods that's been sitting on the shelf. So yeah, yeah. yeah, there's a huge, vast difference. And that is what I specialize in with Tea Huntress. That is like the guts of what I'm doing is cre- is finding plants, you know, tea, Camilla sinensis, and also other botanicals that have that high vibration because of the way they're grown and processed and where they grow and who's growing them and how they're treated and all of those things. Um, I have a chamomile that I sell and it's a chamomile, like who hasn't had a chamomile, but it blows everybody's mind because it's such a vibrant, fresh, bright, beautifully grown chamomile. And it feels like this flower is dancing on your tongue and Mm. like it, the way it soothes your body in this really potent organic way is it's profound. And everybody who drinks it reorders it, which is why it's out of stock until next harvest, which is next summer. Um, But that's how I kind of go about every single ingredient that I get for Tea Huntress. So um, a little bit, I guess, about how this became the thing that I do is that my background is again in sustainable agriculture. So even as a little girl, I wanted to be an organic farmer when I grew up. And I followed that path for a really long time and, you know, carved the path actually, because it didn't just exist. You know, the path to be the organic farmer as a little girl didn't really exist in my world. The path to be a mom or the path to be a doctor or a lawyer or a business person did, but the path as an educated, you know, person to be a farmer was a backward path in a way. It was mm something that I needed to to create. And so, but I did, and it was very much fueled by love and passion, excitement, desire to be with plants and to learn how to grow them and to spend time outside. And so that led me, you know, years of working on organic farms in California and Montana um, eventually led me to tea. And I did an agroecology program in Santa Cruz, actually, where I learned a lot. And then I did another one in Missoula. And, you know, I was always studying agriculture along the way and living alongside other herbalists and chefs and 
people who loved plants and knew how to work with them. And so I got this really great, very hands-on, very integrated experience with plants because we were living with them. So we knew all the herbs in the garden. We knew all the flowers in the field. And we knew how they, we got to see how they played together, which then translates into my work now because I know how different plants synthesize and how they work together um, from a flavor and an energetic perspective. But um, anyway, that eventually led me to tea. And I was, it was like two, it was like 20 something years ago, 2001 maybe. But I started learning about sustainable agriculture on a global scale. So not just the gardens in our backyards or the people who are growing our vegetables, but more about commodity trade and coffee and tea and how sustainability and trade were impacting lives and lands around the world. And I was like lit up. It was like a fire. I was, tell me more. You know, it was everything I loved, travel, culture, agriculture. And I was just hungry for it. I was early twenties and had that, you know, Wonderlust. feed me all the knowledge <laughs> kind of thing. Yes. And so mm. I, every chance I got, so I started fairtradetees.com, which side note, funny story is that after 20 years of having fairtradetees.com during COVID, I just spaced out and let the domain go and it got swiped up in a second. So 20 years of like contacts and emails and having that domain were gone. So I looked at that as a fresh start. But um, anyway, so 20 years ago, got fairtradetees.com, started a chai company called Firepot Chai, which is still um, alive and kicking. And um And had this driving desire to change the world through ethical teas, through ethical trade and fair trade. And and so because of that, every chance I got and every dollar I'd saved, I went to Costa Rica and Guatemala and Sri Lanka and Japan and all over wherever I could, wherever was exciting to me at the time to meet spice farmers and tea farmers and to really learn about fair trade. Um, You know, I spent once 10 days on a bicycle, biking around Sri Lanka and just being in the tea fields and meeting people. And, you know, I would call people up. One time I was in mm, Calcutta or somewhere and I just Googled the name of this tea guy that I had found on the internet and kind of was like, hey, I'm Sarah and I'm super interested in fair trade. And do you think that I could go see some gardens with you? And this guy, Ajay, he's now a dear friend of mine. (laughs) He I think he was curious, like who this American chick was that was just like showing up in Calcutta to go see tea. And so he was like, sure. So we spent a week together in Darjeeling and became, you know, like best friends. He calls me his American wife and his, his real wife thinks that's hilarious. And she also works in tea. And um, so just so many stories like that, where I kind of just showed up with, I don't know if that's ignorance or passion or, um, or just what, but you know, free freewheeling 20 year old kind of just wanting to go around the world and learn about whatever tea and sustainability and plants and so so that experience was really a priceless education mm. in global sustainability and ethical trade and you know plants like I saw Tulsi growing alongside marigold and alongside the tea and this biodiverse sustainable farm in Nepal and so now sometimes when I think of blending I think of oh the Tulsi likes the tea and it gives the tea these qualities and it helps to sustain the soil and the marigold also brings elements into the soil that help the tea so I know how these plants play together in real life Mm -hmm. and that helps me when I'm intuiting or blending or formulating to know how they're going to synergize in the cup in real world and how their energies will come together as well. So, um, 
yeah, so that was a lot of years just traveling and learning. And I think because this path with tea and with plants and sustainability mm-hmm. has always been dharmic, it's always felt like my path, like I was here to do this work. It's always been really lit up. It's always been very much in flow so that doors open on this path. When mm-hmm. I'm aligned on this path, doors open and I don't have to try too hard because yep. because it is my dharma, it's my path. And so I wouldn't have used that language years ago because I didn't know it. But now that I know that language, it it, it does help to describe it. But um, But so I have a lot of stories and a lot of experiences of having opportunities to travel really to most, if not all the tea growing regions around the world of, you know, and going into the farms. And I've, I really spent a lot of time, not just staying at the nice hotels in the cities, but getting out of the cities and doing the 12 hour car ride through not very nice places and staying sometimes in really, really challenging places to stay. I could tell you some stories about those. And I've also had some epic experiences in beautiful places, but really it's never been the travel piece of it has always been for the end of learning about Mm -hmm. the tea and learning about the plants. And so whether I'm in a five-star resort in the Himalayan mountains or if I'm on a tea farmer's floor in China somewhere, um, that hasn't mattered as much as getting to the place that I know has the best tea and with the best land where they're doing the best practices and then just learning everything I can. Um, so I want to interrupt you yeah. there. If you would just explain what fair trade is. Sure. Because I feel like people have different ideas of what these words mean. Right. Yeah, that's a great question about fair trade. So fair trade, hmm, let's go backwards a bit if we can speak specifically to tea. Yeah. So with tea, I like to talk about the Buddhist lineage and the British lineage. And so the Buddhist lineage, and even prior to the Buddhist lineage in Asia, going back millennia, 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 people have revered tea as a goddess. They've taken tea for connection and um, wholeness of body, mind, and spirit. They've um, grown the tea in beautiful old groves and protected the leaves and harvested just once a year. And created ritual and ceremony. And so tea and the land that tea was grown on was always well taken care of. And it wasn't commod- It wasn't a commodity. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a business. It was a medicine. It was a spirit tonic. It was, um, you know, the way we would consider plant medicine now, it was revered and the land was revered. And so when you fast forward then in tea's history to the mm, 1600s, 1700s, when tea began to be discovered in the United Kingdom and in Europe, the British fell in love with tea. And so by the 1800s, tea had become an industry. And so, well, they had all this land in India, so let's grow tea. You know, eventually, well, there's land in Sri Lanka and coffee's not working there, let's grow tea. East Africa, there's land there, there's people that will work, let's grow tea. And so this love that the British had, their ability or desire to turn it into an industry, into a business, shifted the whole way that tea had been treated. And so with that came a lot of monocropping. There became a lot of slave labor, sex trafficking. Um, These are some of the core issues in the tea industry and in the British lineage. So in, in India, in Sri Lanka, in East Africa, in black tea, black tea producing places predominantly 
And that's because tea became industrialized. And with that became a desire for higher yields, for better flavor, for more extraction, for things like this. And so the industry became unsustainable. And so fair trade then came along in order to shift that and in order to make a difference. So then fair trade came in and started giving growers more money and taking better care of the land, et cetera, et cetera, to try to make a difference. So fair trade is not applicable in places like Japan, where they have, where they're not considered a developing nation. It's more Mm. applicable in places that are developing nations. That was super long-winded. No, but that- But you can cut it out. No, but these are important. I mean, I- the devil's in the details. Right. And I think that this this is why I was struggling with that one question, which is, you know, how do you convey to somebody like the difference of a chamomile, you know, to, you know, I mean, it's like, how do you tell the difference? It's like, how do you convey that? And it is, you're right, it's, it's a lot of different elements and it's in the soil and it's in, you know, how someone cultivates it and cares for it and really understands it. And yeah, the French call it terroir and it's just the land, but that word is so much bigger than the earth. Right. It's the land, it's the people, it's the heart of the people. Yeah. It's the cultivar or the seed that the plant came from and the genetic integrity of that seed. And then it's the way it's dried. I mean, the way I store tea mm. has a huge impact on the final essence of it. It's all, it's everything. It's every step of the way. So there has to be integrity throughout the entire supply chain. And that's work, that's work to find because it's such a huge, sometimes I take pictures on Instagram and show them of, for example, I have this beautiful mugwort. It's so beautiful. It has these silvery leaves. It's this great big, beautiful leaf. And it's so fun to work with. It doesn't always blend that well because it's huge. Um, but if you put it alongside a regular organic certified mugwort from like a big organic supplier, mm-hmm. it's night and day. If you taste a cup of each, the one tastes kind of straight and flat and it has strong straight notes. The other one feels like you're dancing in a field of mugwort. It's like this whole body experience and it's the energy of it, right? It's like the vibration of it. And Do you mean the wild one as opposed to this cultivated one? They're you mean? both cultivated. The both so, are. Well, I mean, well, no, some of my mugwort is wild harvested, but even this one that I'm speaking of right now that is cultivated, mm-hmm. it's just that the plant material it's cultivated from, the land it's grown in, the people who are growing it, the way that they harvest it, the place where they store it, the way they ship it to me, the way I store it, the way I blend it, it matters. Right. It matters just as much as the difference between the wheat and the water and the yeast that go into a loaf of um, whole food sliced bread on the shelf versus the um, you know beautiful loaf of bread you might get from a local baker yeah. who's growing the wheat maybe in the backyard. Um, it's just a whole different experience. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so I know that we are we had a certain amount of time today and we're running out of that and we've only just begun. I know, we could keep talking for an hour. <laughs> we can. And there's some uh, I think hours. Um so I'd love to have you back cuz I would love to talk about the ritual of tea. Yeah. And I think there's other questions too that I'll have um after listening to this again that I would sure. love to kind of delve into. Yeah. We so, can make it a, a multi-part series. I love that. Yeah. Um where can people find you? You can find me at teahuntress.com. You can also find me on Instagram at t underscore huntress. Okay, great. So we'll just say until soon because we're definitely going to pick this up. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. 
Sharing the show or an episode that really resonated with you, with friends or on social media, is always appreciated. For podcast updates, please subscribe at ecogal.tv forward slash subscribe. Graphic elements and logos, courtesy of Linda Cornelius. Audio editing by Danielle Mikesell. Our theme music was created by Taylor Pye. You can find us on Instagram at ecogal.tv. We appreciate your support and we value your time and energy. So we hope you found this useful and of value. Thank you for listening. See you back here soon. And until then, stay curious.